Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the Old Testament prophet Haggai. Right after Zephaniah, right before Zechariah, if you're kind of zoning in on it, is the short book of Haggai. That's what we're looking at today in our look at the book series as we summarize the books of the Bible book by book. And today's key concept is this. Haggai reminds us to be busy about the business of serving the Lord. Be busy about the business of serving the Lord. Haggai is a call to right priorities, to get first things first and second things second in terms of our uh, walking with the Lord. We'll start in Haggai chapter 1. And while you find it, let me tell you a story about a couple, Helen and Ralph. Helen and Ralph were season ticket holders for the basketball games of their local college. They were longtime fans and longtime season ticket holders. And like most longtime season ticket holders, there was a little area of people around them that got to know them. They were also season ticket holders and they sat next to one another watching the games season after season. And, and maybe they didn't know their names particularly, but they recognized their faces and they greet one another uh, at the games. And Helen and Ralph were known as the older couple who were just wonderful uh, supporters of their local college team. Then one day, it was a very important game in the life of the, of, the, of the team, and Helen was there all by herself. And her neighbor asked her, where's your husband? And Helen said, well, I'm sorry to say, he, he passed away last week. Now, oh, I'm so sorry to, to hear that. But don't you have any family members that you could share the ticket with? This is, a, this is an important game. And Helen said, well, they're all at the funeral. See, I think you'd agree with me in saying that Helen has got to sort out her priorities, right? And that is the message of Haggai. Sort out your priorities. As we come to the book of Haggai, let me give you the historical setting. Haggai is one of those, one of the three post-exilic prophets. What that means is Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, all of those were, were prophets who spoke to the people who returned to the city of Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity. You remember that the Jews were permitted to return to Jerusalem by Cyrus, the king of Persia, in 538 B.C. Persia, once they con conquered the Babylonian Empire, they did not have the same policies as the Babylonians did. The Persian policy was to allow people to live in their land, to cultivate their fields, and thus be able to pay taxes. And Cyrus actively encouraged people to go back to rebuild the various temples of the gods of the kingdoms that Babylon had, had conquered, and in those temples to pray for him. That was the plan. You go back, people, to your, your place, you rebuild your temples, and it wasn't just the Jews that he, he had this policy with, it was various people groups. You go back and you reestablish your temple and you pray for me. And so the Jews were part of that program. They let, he let them go back uh, to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. That was 538 with organization and travel time. By, by the time 536 B.C. came along, uh, things were starting to be rebuilt in Jerusalem. And one of the first things that they rebuilt was the altar so that they could reestablish temple worship once again in Jerusalem. And the foundation stones were laid for a new uh, temple there. And slowly, Jerusalem came to life once again. Homes were built, stores were built, fields were planted, and life began to normalize in the renewed city. Sixteen years went by after that initial return. And when Haggai comes to the scene and shows up and he looks around and he sees that all the stores and homes and buildings are built except the temple. 
They've never gotten any further than laying down those foundation stones. And those foundation stones uh, sit as a mute reminder that the people's priorities had drifted away from the Lord. Soon they're overrun with weeds, and, and their, their Lord's house is the last thing on the people's mind. In fact, the Jews, who came back so filled with enthusiasm to reestablish temple worship, have gotten used to life without a temple in Jerusalem. And so Haggai comes to attack their indifference. In, in, in Haggai, we have one of the most successful prophets uh, of all the prophets of the Old Testament. In just a couple months of ministry, he calls the people back to the work of building the temple, and they get busy about the right priorities. But at first, it's tough going because they had seriously drifted away from the Lord. Here's an image that I'll, I'll use to describe the, the situation uh, in terms of what he finds there. And the image is going to a restaurant and splitting a meal. Have you ever done that? Sylvia and I do that a lot. The portions in restaurants tend to be pretty, pretty large. And so when we go into the restaurant, we often split a meal. And, and that's uh, common for us. But here's what I've never done. I've never said to her when the meal arrives, here, you take the empty plate and I'll put the full plate in front of me, and I'll eat until I think I have enough, and then when I'm done, I'll give you what's left over. I've never done that. And there's a good reason I've never done that. I've never done that out of self-preservation, pure and simple. I don't think I'd walk out of that restaurant if I've done that. But that's exactly what the, the children of Israel are doing with the Lord in terms of their worship in the temple, and that's exactly what we do so very often. Haggai's message, we'll find, is very pertinent to us. So very often it's easy for us to get in the pattern of, well, I have to pay all the bills, I have to do all my sports, I have to participate in all my recreation, go on my vacation, purchase all the things I want to purchase and get my life settled, and then, and then finally, Lord, then I'll give back to you. And very often, there's not much left. But Haggai comes with a message for them and for us, and it's a message for their hands, it's a message for their heads, and it's a message for their hearts in terms of getting their priorities right. So let's start to read chapter 1, starting our reading in verse 2. Haggai comes, and this is how he challenges the people. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai, Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Here's the message for their hands. The message is, get busy and rebuild the temple. Don't procrastinate any longer. Don't tell me the time has not yet come because the time certainly has come long ago to be rebuilding the temple. Procrastination is a way of life, it seems, for us. We are, we are people who put things off, especially if it's something that we're not too excited about doing, if it's something that we don't see any profit in doing. And, the, and if we're not fond of doing it, we'll put it off. And that's just what Haggai is seeing in the people around him in terms of the temple. But he comes with a message for their hands and says, get your hands busy to be building the temple. You've been waiting too long. Sixteen years have gone by, and we've heard nothing but excuses as to why you're not building the temple. One man has called an excuse the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. That's a good definition. Ben, uh, uh, Benjamin Franklin used to say, I've never known a man who's good at making excuses who is good at making anything else. If you're good at making excuses, 
pretty much you're not going to make anything else. And that's what they're doing. They're just making excuses. And they've taken time and they use their money and they use their effort to decorate their own homes, but not prioritizing the things of the Lord. And the result is this. Look at verse 6. You've planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. In other words, this uh, prioritization on yourselves really isn't getting you what you wish to get. The materialism that you've concentrated on has brought you nothing but misery and little harvest because you're not honoring the Lord first. Thus, you're not experiencing the Lord's blessing. Now, we have to understand who he's speaking to because those who returned to uh, rebuild Jerusalem were the religious zealots. The majority of those who came back to Jerusalem were from priests and priests' families because most of the Jews did not come back when they were released by Cyrus of Persia. They had established comfortable living in the land of Babylon. They had, their families were established. They had homes. They had businesses. And so the vast majority of the people stayed there in their comfort. But the ones who went back to Jerusalem went back on a grand adventure. We are the ones who are going to reestablish the worship in the temple. And when they first got there, they went after it. Like I said, the very first thing they built was the altar. But little by little, they started to backslide from their enthusiasm for the things of the Lord. What happened was they had an experience of crop failure. And then the money that Cyrus had given them to go ahead and rebuild the city, that money dried up. And the grant, so to speak, was not renewed because the next king, King Darius of Persia, did not so much care about the Jews rebuilding the temple. He had other financial priorities. He needed money for wars that he was fighting elsewhere. And so what happened soon after the people returned was there, a, there was a series of events that brought them through what we would call a recession. And then there was an inflation that happened, and then a drought, and then poverty. And soon the thinking of the people was this. We, we can't afford to build the temple. We have to concentrate on our own livelihood. We can't afford to think about the things of God. We have to concentrate on that which matters to us. We have to get sufficiently ahead materially until we're comfortable enough. Then we can think about the things of God. Today I have to work on my own agenda. Tomorrow I'll work on the temple. But the problem is year after year after year, that tomorrow never came. And along comes Haggai and he says, how's that working out for you? You're, you have crop failure. Your clothes don't keep you warm. You never have enough to eat. Your money just kind of runs through, and you're not getting ahead. And the reason you're not getting ahead is not because you're not concentrating enough on yourself. It's because you're not concentrating enough on the things of the Lord. Thus, He is not blessing. You're denying yourself the blessing that God will give you because your thinking is all wrong. You're not suffering financially because you give too much time to the things of God. You're suffering because you give too little time to the things of God. And he is withholding his hand. Basically, Haggai says, if you build it, he will bless. Does that sound familiar? If you build it, he will bless. Verse 9. Here's what he says. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, 
which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with his own house. See, the temple was to be a demonstration that these people were the people of God. The temple was to be a demonstration that God was among His people, the symbol of His presence and His blessing and His nearness. But His people have settled for lesser things, and they've pushed God's priorities to the sideline, ironically thinking that they needed to get ahead materially themselves. They didn't have time to build the temple because they're busy making a living, busy planting crops, busy farming the fields and building their houses. But it wasn't going well. They weren't really getting ahead. And in typical human fashion, instead of turning to the Lord for help, they doubled down on their own efforts and just work harder. But Haggai comes along and says, you got this perfectly backwards. God is waiting to bless you if you put your priorities towards Him. The people were stingy with God, and so God has been stingy with them. And I say all this to remind us that it's easy for us to fall into the same pattern. It's easy for us to allow a sense of worldliness to take over, to allow this materialism that they were experiencing to creep into our lives. And Haggai would ask us the exact same question he asks of them. What do you do with your discretionary spending? Is it all on yourself? Why is it that God would entrust you with wealth and blessing? Have you proven that you'll put His kingdom and His priorities and His will first in your life, or have you not? That guy's message is, don't waste all your money on yourself, because God wants you to invest in His priorities. And it's the same with time. It's the same with effort. He has entrusted us with building His kingdom. Over and again, inside the book of Haggai, we hear the phrase, consider your ways, put first things first, and prioritize the things of the Lord. And the people heard his message, and they responded. Look at verse 14 of chapter 1. At the very end of verse 14, it says, They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty their God. The message to their hands got through, and they began to do the work. But then... They need a message to their hearts. The Holy Spirit prompts their activity. They, get to, they start to build the building once again. And you know what happens? There is a group of older people there. And the older people remember the former temple. And listen to what we read in, in chapter 2, verse 3. As they look at this kind of poor excuse for a temple that's being built in their day, they say in verse 3, Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. What begins to happen is as, the, as this... Uh, this temple is being constructed there by, and Zerubbabel is overseeing the construction of the temple, soon nostalgia begins to set in, particularly by those who are older who remember Solomon's temple. And their hearts break for what they see. And they begin to say things like, oh, you should have seen the former temple. You should have seen our temple. Or maybe it even sounded like, you call this a temple? This isn't much of a temple at all. 
And so what happens is the, the workers begin to be slowing down. They begin to get discouraged as, as the, the folks who remember Solomon's temple kind of speak in discouraging tones. You may say that they're, they're hit with friendly fire, so to speak. And maybe the old folks meant well or maybe they didn't mean well. But the insult was such that the workers began to back away from the work. And Haggai comes along with a word. He sees, I have to encourage these who are doing the work presently and guard them from the friendly fire of those who will only look at the world from a viewpoint of nostalgia. And what he says in, in verse 9 of chapter 2, listen to what he says. He says, The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. And so you wonder, how is it that this admittedly much smaller temple and much less grand temple, how will the glory be greater than Solomon's temple? After all, Solomon's temple had the Ark of the Covenant, now lost. Solomon's temple had the golden vessels, now gone. Solomon's temple was ornate and, and, and gorgeous, and this is a very simple structure that's being built again here in Jerusalem. How could this temple and its glory be greater than Solomon's temple? Well, we on this side of history, we have the answer to that. Through many intertestamental ups and downs, through battles and invasions and desecrations, this second temple, the temple of Zerubbabel, actually becomes the, the core structure that will one day be expanded. There will be a king who wants to get in good with the Jews, King Herod. He's not a Jew himself, and he wants to impress the Jews. And so he takes this temple, and he remodels it, and he expands it, and he makes it the grand temple that we call Herod's temple. And that structure will, will emerge as one of the wonders of the ancient world. But it's not just the construction that causes it to have glory, because into that temple will walk the person who calls himself greater than the temple, Emmanuel. Jesus will worship in the, the, the remodel of this temple, and its glory will be exceeded. The message for their hearts is this. I want you to fall in love with a God-saturated future and not live on nostalgia alone. Stop looking backwards and start looking forwards. Fall in love with a God-saturated future in which God will greatly work. And when you do that, you will serve Him with joy in the present. But then there's a message for their heads, a third message that Haggai has to give them. And it's embedded in chapter 2, uh, starting in, in verse 12. It's a, little, it's a little confusing, so let me read the passage first, and then we'll explain it. In chapter 2, verse 12, it says this, If a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of his garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine or oil or other food, does it become consecrated? And the priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it come, become defiled? The priest answered, yes, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with these people. And this nation in my sight, declares the Lord, whatever they do and whatever they offer, there is defiled. Now, what's, what's going on here? So far, Haggai has had a message for their hands, get busy with the work. 
a message with their, for their hearts. Don't live on nostalgia. Look to a God-saturated future. And now it's a message for their heads. And the, the problem is this. What's happening is in the thinking of the people, they're rebuilding the temple, and it's beginning to dawn on them that these stones that we are touching, these are holy stones. These stones are going to be put into, uh, into the temple itself, and we are touching these stones. Therefore, we, by association, must be being made holy. We, by association, ought to be being blessed. In other words, by just going through the motions of touching these stones, that blessing should rub off on me. And Haggai's message is you don't get blessed by just going through the motions. Something else has to be happening inside of you. The imagery that he uses to explain that is roughly equivalent to this. You can relate to this. Think of a time in your home, in your, in your kitchen, when you put dirty dishes by mistake into the dishwasher that already had clean dishes in it. Have you ever done that? It happens sometimes. Somebody gets, you know, somebody's unloading the dishwasher of clean dishes and they get distracted and they walk away and then somebody else decides, well, I'm going to be real helpful and put in the dirty dishes thinking that those dirty, the dishes in there are already dirty. Now, what happens when you do that? Do the dirty dishes automatically become clean by association? No, the spaghetti sauce drips onto the plates and onto the silverware and if things begin and they, the clean stuff gets dirty. That's why there's all the yelling when you do that, right? <laughs> Don't do that. The stuff's clean, right? That's that, because it doesn't go the other way. The, the clean stuff becomes dirty. Haggai says it's the same with the things of the Lord. When something is ritually pure, touches something defiled, the defiled thing doesn't get pure. The pure thing gets defiled. And they're asking, well, what's your point, Haggai? He says, your point is you're not going to be blessed by just going through the motions and touching these holy stones. You're, you're going to be blessed when it's the whole package, when you see repentance on the inside and holiness and a desire to serve the Lord and you're doing His will motivated by a pure love for Him, not just the externals. At that point, then you see the hand of the Lord's blessing in your life. Otherwise, you just defile that which is holy by your uh, touch in, of, out of hypocrisy and sin. And so there's a message for their hands, get busy, a message for their heart, love a God-saturated future, a lesson for their heads. Don't think it's just about going through the motions. It's about a total life commitment to following the things of the Lord. And at the very end of the book of Haggai, he has a message for one man. It's not the nation anymore. It's Zerubbabel himself. The last prophecy is directed to the man Zerubbabel. And we'll, look, we'll pick up on verse 23 of chapter 2, and this is what he says. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Haggai is reminding Zerubbabel that things will not always be the way that they are today. Persia will not always be a world-dominating empire. I make you a promise that I'm going to do something through you, Zerubbabel. I make you my signet ring. Now, that image may be lost to us. We have to remember that in these days, when a king, when a king would send a communication, he would seal that communication in wax, and he would have a ring with his 
signet or signature on it or some insignia, and he would press that ring into that wax seal. And it would demonstrate that this communication is both authentic and important. Those are the two words to remember. That's what he was sealing when he sealed it with a signet ring. This is both authentic and important. And what God is saying here is, I'm going to do something authentic and important through you, Zerubbabel. So we ask, well, what is that all about? We need to remember that Zerubbabel is a descendant of David. And God is saying, I'm putting you, Zerubbabel, and your family back in the situation where what you do is important for me, and it's authentically a work that I'm doing through you. And so what is unique about Zerubbabel? We don't find that out until the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. But when we get to the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, we see that each of those biblical authors are inspired to write genealogies. Each of them takes a different approach to the genealogies. Matthew gives us Joseph's genealogy, the legal line, and we see that Joseph is a descendant of David. Luke gives us Mary's genealogy, Jesus' bloodline, and we see that she too is a descendant of David. And where do those lists intersect? Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel is the man on both lists. He is the shared ancestor, and he is instrumental in the coming of the Messiah. So, inspired by Haggai, Zerubbabel leads the people. He completes the work, and the temple is built. Haggai, in just a couple of months of ministry, is tremendously successful. And here's the summary of his message. Put first things first. Trust God to bless you. And Jesus repeats those words in Matthew chapter 6. So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all this will be given to you as well. Put first things first. Secondly, spiritual purity and devotion matter to God. Dirty lives are dirty vessels. In the service of the king, he does not use dirty vessels, but God wants us to deal harshly with the sin and the sinful attitudes in our lives so that he can open up the future for us. Twice in the book of Haggai, we say, consider your ways. That's the message to us. Consider your ways. Be busy about the business of serving the Lord.